I had a good friend when I was in seminary named David who was a complete workout nut. Uh, he had ripped muscles, unlike me. Um, he would do crazy exercises in the workout room in the seminary. Uh, he would just do flips for fun. Uh, he would do inverted push-ups. Uh, just really, really insane workouts. He could have been on like American Ninja Warrior. Uh, like legitimately, he could have been on that show uh, and he would have thrived and done very, very well. Uh, but once in a while... Uh, there, would always be, there would always be a case of a guy in the seminary who thought that he was in this guy's league in the, in the weight room. And he would try to do a few things that David would, would, would normally succeed at. And, but the problem is this guy would normally fail miserably. Uh, either in the moment he would get injured or the next morning the guy's muscles would be sore beyond belief. He'd be working out with muscles that he didn't know that he had. And each of us maybe has had an experience like this, you know, maybe working muscles we never knew we had or working parts of our brain we never knew that we had or maybe unleashing capabilities and talents and gifts that we never knew that we had inside of us. And that can be tough at the beginning. There can be some setback, setbacks, maybe some growing pains, some sore muscles. But eventually, if we do it enough, that thing that we had initially struggled with becomes second nature. It almost becomes muscle memory, you could say. And in the gospel, this is exactly what Jesus is doing with his apostles. He is trying to elicit faith out of these men, out of his dear friends, his closest collaborators. And that is the case today and really with all of the post-resurrection appearances that Jesus makes to his disciples. Because the apostles actually had to believe that the person in front of them was Jesus. That it was not, in fact, a ghost. That he had, in fact, risen from the dead. And that required maybe a little bit of extra work on their part. Yes, he was there, but it there was an extra step, you could say, that those apostles had to take. To believe that this man was not a ghost, that he was actually the same living, breathing human being that they had walked around with and gotten to know for the better parts of three years. As I said, this required a little bit of extra work on their part. You could say maybe spiritual exercise. Because for three years, those apostles had relied on the very simple fact that Jesus was there. That he was walking around and, and being with them, walking and talking and eating with them. They had had him in front of their face for three years. They hadn't really been without him during that time. And in these appearances after the resurrection, Jesus is trying to get the apostles to work muscles they never knew they had. And this was difficult, as evidenced by Thomas's doubt today. You could re maybe refer to Thomas's doubt as the growing pains of faith. Like someone working out and feeling sore the next day. Thomas was not used to that extra step, that extra leap of faith that faith requires, as opposed to seeing right in front of him. He had to believe the other apostles' word that Jesus had appeared to him, and he wasn't used to that. And Jesus does this because he knows what will come next for the church. Those apostles will have to spread the faith to those who had never seen Jesus, and even folks who had never even heard of him before they encountered the apostles, people who had never heard his voice, never saw him walking around, people who would have to believe not with their eyes, 
but with their hearts. And again, the original faith of the apostles would not really be sufficient for that. They had relied so much on Jesus' physical presence in front of them. And that was a different thing than to give the faith to someone who had never seen Jesus with their eyes. And the original faith of the apostles would not be as effective in spreading the gospel for people who, to people who hadn't ate and drank with Jesus. And so that's why Jesus gives the apostles maybe a little bit of extra exercise, you could say. Because they too would need to know what it was like to believe without seeing. To believe without having Jesus right in front of them with their eyes. Because as we know, we cannot give what we do not already have. If those apostles were going to spread the faith to people who would have to believe without seeing, then they too would have to believe without seeing. And today's gospel is where these men begin to acquire this virtue, this gift of faith. And I think it's also quite good that Jesus does this because, if anything, it foreshadows so much of where people are nowadays in the modern mindset of if it's not in front of my eyes, if I can't prove it, then I don't believe it. There's a little bit of that in Doubting Thomas. Again, unless I see with my eyes and put my hand into the nail marks, I will not believe. How common is this mindset in modern life? Again, so many people think that if we cannot prove it or see it, then it isn't worth my time, then I am not called to believe it. But if that is the case, brothers and sisters, then we can know nothing about friendship or love or what makes a beautiful poem or music good or bad. All of those things are not tangible. We can't see friendship. You know, certainly it's lived out by people, but we can't quantify friendship. It can't be put into a scientific equation. All of these things we would not be able to know without faith. Faith is necessary for us. Sure, we need natural faith to trust other people, but on the supernatural level, Faith gives us the capacity to recognize the truth of things that we can't see naturally. It's a yes to what the intellect cannot see on its own. And this exercise of faith, brothers and sisters, conquers the world. It allows us to open up our hearts to the whole of reality. And it is how we have life in God's name, as St. John tells us at the end of this gospel. Through belief in Jesus, we have life in his name. Faith has spread to every corner of the world. It's withstood every empire, dictator, or government. It has conquered and changed our, our humanity for the better. And thankfully, by the end of this gospel, Thomas makes that beautiful act of faith. He believes with those words, my Lord and my God. It's so simple and yet beautiful and profound. He finally has it. And that faith would eventually take St. Thomas all the way to India, where he would be martyred for Christ. What a wonderful progression of growth in his life, from doubting to being able to spread the faith to the farthest corners of the world. You know, we need that same faith as St. Thomas had, as he eventually acquired, that same act of faith in our own lives. There's a beautiful tradition in the church that at the elevation at the consecration of the Eucharist, when the priest elevates the host, in the silence of our hearts, we say those same words as St. Thomas, my Lord and my God, when we see the Eucharist in front of us. 
And when the chalice is raised with the precious blood, in the silence of our hearts, we say, my Jesus, mercy. And a beautiful thing to pray today on this Divine Mercy Sunday as well. It's important that we make that act of faith in the most important moments of Holy Mass. So maybe today, when I consecrate the Eucharist, we can each, in the silence of our hearts, make that same act of faith that St. Thomas the Apostle makes in our Gospel. And ask the Lord for an increase of faith where we need it the most. And let us express our belief in Christ and his presence and his love for us. So that we can say alongside St. Thomas the Apostle, my Lord and my God, that we can see, believe, and have life in Jesus' name.